Grace be to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn your attention to our second lesson, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, as we study his prayer for them and for us and learn from that prayer. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our reading word. Amen. Paul was writing to these Ephesians Christians from a Roman prison. Yet, no matter what kind of prison it was, no matter how thick the walls were, no matter how dark the dungeon, none of those things could keep him from having the freedom to pray. He wants the Ephesians to know that despite his bad situation, he is continuing to pray, not just for himself, but he's praying for each of them. He had just told them that because of what God has done for us in Jesus, we can approach God with freedom and with the confidence that he hears every single prayer and that he answers every single prayer in the best possible way. So after Paul begins his prayer by pointing out that he's praying to the one true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who sacrificed his only Son to pay for the sins of the world, the Father who created all that exists, he has three specific requests of God on their behalf. His first request is this, that according to the riches of his glory, he would strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Isn't that really the prayer of every parent and every grandparent? You share the word of God with your children, and when they're little, you, you rejoice over their simple childlike faith and their expressions of faith. You ask almost any Sunday school-aged child, why are you going to heaven, and they get a big smile. They don't even hesitate. They say, because Jesus died for me on the cross and washed my sins away come to the Christmas program and see them reciting the Christmas gospel, singing out joyfully and sometimes maybe a little too exuberantly all those wonderful Christmas songs that they've learned. Then they get older, and they don't want to sing out quite as joyfully or exuberantly. They get kind of self-conscious, a little bit too worried about what other people might think. Then they go off to high school and away to college. And they have friends that don't believe. They have professors that sometimes purposely are trying to get them to question their faith. And they, they wonder if those things that they always knew about God and their salvation, if they're really true. All of us have probably been there at one time or another. All of us probably still have doubts and questions, and, and we know what we need. We need to be strengthened in our inner man. We can't resist those temptations. We can't overcome those doubts by our own strength or by our own power. We need to be strengthened in our inner self. Our faith needs to be strengthened to be able to resist all of those temptations that bombard us every day. 
and to overcome those doubts that Satan constantly is trying to plant in our minds by having his surrogates ask that age-old question. Did God really say? Is what God said, what you've always believed, is that really true? How can that be? Our spirits are inner man, Paul says, can only be strengthened by the Spirit. But by God's grace, he promises that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, does his work through the gospel, in word and sacrament. Through the means of grace, the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing us to Jesus so that Christ is dwelling in our hearts, so that he is the object of our faith, the sure foundation of our hope. The only reason that we or our children or our grandchildren are able to say, I know, I have eternal life. It's all because of Jesus, what he's done for me. We want those that we love to have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith. We want them to be rooted, firmly attached to the true vine who is Christ. We want them to be grounded, to have that sure, unshakable foundation, which is the inerrant, inspired word of God, given to us through the apostles and the prophets. Only then will they or we be able to resist all those temptations, be able to come all those doubts that enter our minds, and remain firm in the faith until the end. God answers this prayer. As we bring our children, our grandchildren to worship, to hear the word of God. As we take the time to read the Bible or a Bible storybook if they're little to them. As we take the time to, to pray with them every day. As they see us reading the Bible on our own. And doing all we can to put those things into practice in our lives. Maybe as they get to be teenagers and a little rebellious and resist uh, going to worship or resist having family devotions, we stand firm with Joshua and say, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God answers this prayer as they see and hear us talking about God and his word when we get up, when we lay down, when we sit at lunch, when we're in the car. In other words, they see it not as just something that an hour once in a while on Sunday, but it's something that affects and is infused into every part of our lives. So we pray with the Apostle Paul. Lord, strengthen your people by the power of the Spirit who is at work through the gospel and word and sacrament, so that being rooted and grounded in Christ and his love, they may resist temptation, overcome doubt, and remain firm in the one true faith until the end. Paul's second request for the Ephesians and for us is this, that you would be able to comprehend along with all the saints how wide and long and high and deep his love is and that you would be able to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul wants everyone, all Christians everywhere to comprehend the incomprehensible. That's what he says, right? He says, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. It's so wide and long and deep and high that there isn't a single human being that can wrap his mind around all of it. 
Paul says, in another place, we can kind of get an idea as we think about sacrifices that people are willing to make for others. Someone might give up their kidney. Someone might give up some of their bone marrow. Someone might run into a burning building to, rec- to rescue their child. A policeman or a soldier might draw the fire of the enemy so that others can escape. What's really incomprehensible about God's love is that Jesus sacrificed himself for us while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies. He didn't do it for his friends. He did it for you and me while we were his enemies. He literally took our place on death row so that we could go free. He suffered the hell that we deserve for sin so that we could go to heaven. It seems incomprehensible. By the grace of God, through the power of his word, we know it's true. That's what he tells us. And as we go through life and we experience enemies, we experience having people sin against us. And then we realize that that's just a drop in the bucket compared to what Jesus experienced in our place. We begin to comprehend more and more, not just up here, but here, how great the love of God is for us. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love that surpasses knowledge. So we pray the Apostle Paul. Lord, the greatness of the love that you showed to us in Jesus is incomprehensible. Yet as we see your love in contrast to our lack of love, may we learn to appreciate it more and more each day. Paul's third request, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. God is filled with every good thing. The Bible says there's no darkness in him at all. There's nothing evil. There's nothing bad. He is the essence of love. He is love. All power, authority, strength, wisdom, knowledge, and all belongs to him. The Bible says he wants to bless us with every spiritual blessing. He wants to restore in us that perfect image of God that Adam and Eve had before they fell into sin. A perfect relationship with him without fear. Ability to live perfectly holy lives. He wants that to be established in us again. One commentator wrote that Paul is asking that we be filled to overflowing with all the good things that God dispenses through his church. I'm sure as long as we're living on earth, we're never going to be completely filled with all the fullness of God. We still have a sinful nature. But as we experience his love more and more, as we're reminded again and again of our forgiveness in Jesus, He's molding us more and more into his likeness until that image, the perfect image of God is finally restored and he takes us to be with him in heaven. Put simply, Paul is praying that these Christians, Ephesus, that all of us would never take 
God or the blessings that he wants to give us through his word for granted. That's very easy to do, isn't it? Especially in our modern world, we're bombarded every day, every minute of every day. We've got all kinds of different choices. There's work, there's school, there's recreation, there's sports, there's cell phones and internet. Every minute of every day, we've got all these choices, and it's so easy for us to choose the ones that seem urgent, the ones that seem important in the short term. It's so easy to forget the long term. But all those things that seem important and urgent in the short term aren't going to matter on the day we stand before God. All those things will be gone, unimportant. The only things that will matter are knowing that Jesus always chose the most important things. He always avoided being distracted by the things that were urgent and unimportant and focused on God and his will. He did that as our substitute in our place. And on the cross, he paid for all those times when our minds wandered. When we did focus on the wrong thing, when we've got about what's most important, he paid for those sins. And then he rose from the dead to prove that he is our Savior. Paul closes his prayer by reminding us that God is able, according to the power that is worked within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. There's some great examples of that and there are other reasons this morning, right? That widow of Zarephath, even though she witnessed miracles, that, that flour never running out, the oil never running out. She experienced that miracle day in and day out when her son died. She didn't even think about asking Elijah to raise him from the dead. And yet he did. That widow from Nain walking out to the cemetery for the second time, once before for her husband and now for her only son. Never have imagined that on the way to the cemetery, Jesus was going to show up and touch the casket and say, get up! And her son would be raised from the dead and restored to her. Never crossed her mind. Even Mary and Martha, as faithful as they were to Jesus and his word, didn't think of asking Jesus to raise Lazarus. Didn't imagine that he would do that or could do that. After all, he didn't get there in time to heal him, and now he's been in the grave for four days. <coughs> Jesus raised him. God is able to do anything, to do all things. Things that we can't even imagine him doing. Things that we would never even dare to ask him to do. The first hymn put it very well, right? You're coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Now, he hasn't promised to give us everything that we ask, 
but there isn't anything that we ask that he can't do. He has promised that he will always do what is best. So with the Apostle Paul, we want to come to him in any kind of situation. He was in prison. He still came to God in prayer. He came in a confident prayer, knowing that God was going to do what he asked on behalf of the Ephesians, or else he would do something even greater than he could imagine or think about asking. As Paul prayed for his fellow Christians in Ephesus, he had that confidence that God would do all that he was asking and more, that God would answer his prayer in the way that he knew was best. By God's grace, because of what God has done for us in Jesus, pray with that kind of confidence. And then join the Apostle Paul in saying, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand.